Welcome to Planet Noun, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, prompt us to make a difference, and do more with what life presents. So there's a quote that says something about moving boldly in the direction of your dreams. I don't know about you, but I really love that one. But sometimes we all need... Well, let me just talk about myself. Sometimes I need a nudge to get me moving in the direction of those dreams, aspirations, and goals written in all those notebooks and around the house. Is this you? Do you know someone like this? Either way, keep on listening. So my guest today is Dr. David Arrington. He's the COO of Arrington Coaching and author of the book, Promotable, How to Demonstrate Your Value, Highlight Your Potential, and Land Your Next Promotion. Let's meet David. I am on top of the world having the best day ever. How about yourself? Doing okay. That is just so energizing. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's that's my response every single day. No matter rain or shine, that's it. So is this his first book? Well, let's get to it with an answer to that question with the Dr. David Arrington of Arrington Coaching right here on Planet Noun. It is, actually. It's my first. Thank you for uh, phrasing that appropriately. It's not my first, not my only. So yeah, there, there are more books already in the works. Can I get a sneak uh, sneak peek of like how many are in the works? Or are you going to keep that under wraps for now? Well, how many are in the works? One at a time. I try not to go too far out because just honestly, Promotable was an idea that we kind of galvanized and it's all by itself, really. It was not like I said, Promotable is the first one I'm going to write. So I was planning on writing something on teams or leadership because that's those are things I train on all the time. But Promotable just kind of happened. It was a confluence of a number of things at the same time that just kind of made that happen. So could I tell you what's... I'm, I'm looking at least two to three more, just looking at my board right now. Uh, on a few topics, all in the business leadership self-help genre. Now, um, as we were saying earlier, I know a segment of your your origin story. After mm-hmm. Philadelphia, we met in Huntsville, Alabama. We and did. there was a long, I don't want to, I don't want, how would you describe it? Would you describe it as a long and winding path to Arrington coaching? Because you had a couple of careers. I remember you as a computer science major. Yep. You would be absolutely correct. Long and winding would be, it doesn't feel long and winding now, but you know, that's in hindsight, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a few things. So I started off, like you said, uh, we were in Huntsville, went to Oakwood together. Then I graduated with my BS in computer information systems and started working in Houston uh, as a network engineer at Exxon. Then I went on to another company, Schlumberger, did, I was a network engineer there. I was also a worldwide recruiting manager for them, standing up a whole consulting agency. I recruited, I did all the recruiting and staffed it. And that was like, like I said, worldwide. I was in Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, you know, Europe, all across the U.S., finding good talent, uh, amazing talent, actually, to staff that organization. Then I quit that, and I went back to school, got my um, master's, and then I pastored for about 12 years. Uh, And it was during that time I started doing more and more coaching with um, leaders inside and outside of the church. And I enjoyed coaching leaders, literally um, coaching leaders outside of the church because I started the practice. It was just a little side thing. I would, I would coach one or two people and it kind of grew from there. And 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's looking back now, I've got over 15 years of experience doing that. In 2012, I went back and went back to school again for the last time. I, I do say that. And that's when I got my doctorate in strategic leadership with a concentration in leadership coaching, which helped me understand that what I was doing before was not actually coaching. It was really mentoring or advising because I was given a lot more answers than I was asking questions. So that helped me to really tighten up what I do so I can help my clients get better results. So yeah, it's, a, it's been a winding road, long road. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a journey. And somewhere along that path, um, mm-hmm. I know you mentioned this in the book, somewhere along that path, you mentioned that you had a disappointment. I'm sure it wasn't like the only disappointment because, you know, we're good and grown. We've had a few. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say which disappointment. There's been a few. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember one in particular that stood out to me that you wrote about in the book is that someone that you looked up to mm-hmm. and considered a mentor. Yep. Um, if I remember correctly, you considered that person a friend. They essentially told you. Hey, whatever it is that you're aiming for, you're not going to get it because we don't have confidence in you. I don't know if they use those exact words, but that was kind of the meaning that I extracted from that portion of the book. No, um, you, talk- you got the right meaning. Absolutely. And so, so talk about that. When was that? Where was that? And how did that help lead you to where you are now? Well, like you learn, you know, when you're telling stories like this that may put people in in uh, lights that may not be as favorable, you kind of, you know, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, yeah, that was in the last decade. I'll give you that, you know, I'll give you that as a uh, frame of reference, right? But that was, it, it did rock me. That one was, it was very difficult to process because like, like you said, that individual was a mentor, even a hero. Like I looked up to this person, worked with them, you know, one-on-one, they knew me. And when this came out, it was like, whoa, I mean, you've heard vote of no confidence. This was a vote of, yeah, we're not even sure why you're here. And I, to this day, still don't understand the assessment, but I am very thankful that I was told up front because I don't think a lot of people are told that up front. And then they end up going on and on in careers where there is no upward mobility. So actually now I look back at it and I say, thank you, because you kept, he kept me from moving forward or trying to make something work that fundamentally, organizationally was never going to work. I was never going to have an opportunity. I wasn't even in those discussions. I wasn't even, uh, you know, an outside chance. I was not an underdog. I was, you know, not even a dog. I wasn't even in the race, <laughs> right? Say, Meow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's not even like there was an opportunity. So Honestly, as difficult as that was, and like I said, it took a couple months to get past that, right? And it took me remembering who I was. Um, that was just that, you know, I had to kind of rebuild me because my personality, my, you know, I'm not just what I do and I add more value. What I realized was that was their loss for not being able to acknowledge and recognize the value I brought to the table. And, you know, we parted amicably and, you know, the rest is, as they say, history. But yeah, that was difficult. It took a couple months just to stop hearing those words in my head. Wow. And like you said, it's very important that they, they basically gave you all the information you needed to make an informed decision about the next step. Absolutely. And that the next step was going somewhere else. I mean, I was literally told that. It was like, you're, you know, this is pretty much the end of the road. And it was like, oh, seriously? Well, then, yeah, I got to figure that out. And that's the whole, like, when you get hit with that news, most people are not ready for it. I was not ready for it. 
And when it hit me, it took me, like I said, a month to figure out, I had to find my footing again and then figure out, okay, what is the next step for David Arrington? What is the next step for my family? Where are we going? How do I put food on the table? How, you know, so it just threw a lot of things in flux that I didn't think were in flux. And, you know, that's a big part of it. Wow. And so um, was did the idea of Arrington coaching, was that a glimmer in your mind before or while this was happening? Or did that come to fruition because of, of that, that incident? Well, it became an entity because of, right? Uh, but I had already been coaching little, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there as people asked. And uh, I was already kind of, for lack of a better term, I was already trying to, you know, spread out. I, I felt like everything I was doing wasn't everything I could do. So what I was doing was I already kind of put feelers out and Arrington coaching was a glimmer, but it was, <laughs> it was a, it had a far more tragic name before Arrington coaching. Um, <laughs> it was bad. That's the only one I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God. Thank God. That's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was Eagle Ridge Consulting. And that was just a question mark factory because I would say that to executives and they would get this glazed over look <laughs> and like almost like it would almost end conversations. And I figured out, you know, early on, we have to do something else. It just took me about eight, nine months between working with my branding coach and having my wonderful wife telling me this name ain't going to work for me to actually say, okay, I guess I'm going to have to figure something else out. Yeah. And, and your wife would do that. <laughs> she, she would. She absolutely she does, pulls yeah. no punches. No, no. Kind, but pulls no punches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, you, you know where she stands. You know where she stands. <laughs> yes, yes. And just to um, throw in a side note, I've known David's wife, Maria, for, I don't even remember when we met. I think it was in high school. And you've known her it, longer than you know me. You yeah. two knew each other when we got to college. Right, right, right. I'm, yeah, it was, I think it was high school or maybe it was before. I think I don't that's remember. where it's, Long time. I think that's where it starts, yeah. <laughs> Long time ago. So I do have some questions about family and um, because sure. you mentioned, you know, putting food on the table and everything like that. So we'll get to that in, uh, in a couple of questions. So let's talk about the services you all offer with Arrington Coaching and why they're key necessary and necessary for, you know, businesses and individuals. Why can't people just, you know, man up or woman up and just be? Why do we need help? So you asked a few questions there. That's why I'm, right, I'm right. slowing down here. You said, what services? Why can't we just man up? Why can't we be? I was like, okay, let me pick which one. So let me start with the why, right? Okay. We can muscle through a lot of things. And I tell people a lot of times, you may not need a coach. You may not need me. But what I do is I accelerate your success. That's the funny thing about coaching. When you work with me, you're fundamentally getting a force multiplier. Because when you're caught up in the day-to-day, -day, when you're trying to juggle work and life, when you have uh, more and more projects going on to an overflowing plate, when the stakes are high, when things need to get done, absolutely need to get done, you realize that's when you get overwhelmed, that's when you get stressed out, that's when you make poorer decisions because you're desperate. And this happens no matter where you are in the organization. This happens uh, at CEO level. It happens uh, at the mid middle management. It happens all throughout the organization. So what I do through executive and leadership coaching is one, I provide my clients a safe space, right? I provide them a confidential, transparent, transformational place where they can step back and think about 
what they need to do, what's the next step. I help them break out of reaction mode and help them move forward and lead courageously. So it's, it's very, very, I want to say cathartic and therapeutic for leaders to work with me because what ends up happening is they have like an eye in the storm kind of moment. Everything could be going crazy, but for our 60 to 75 minutes, they're able to actually step back, not have to react, think about what needs to get done, what resources they need to gather, and how to best move forward. I help people make really good decisions. I work with smart people already. And being smart, being able to man up, that's all fine, well, and good. And there's a place for that. But fundamentally, the reason you would engage an executive coach like myself is because you want someone who can help process with you and ask you the challenging questions that will, and bring that diversity of thinking that allows you to say, okay, I didn't think about it like that. Oh, wow. Thank you. That makes sense. Because when I walk in, I was, um, uh, one of my clients from a couple of years ago texted me the other day when I was letting her know about the book. And she said, David, I just want to tell you how much you helped my entire company. The things we did with our leadership team are still bearing fruits. I haven't worked with them for two years. Wow. She, was, she was bragging on her team and based, and she said, and you know, this is what you started. You did this. So that's the kind of thing, especially bringing someone in with experience, with a different perspective, with an informed perspective, allows you to accelerate change implementation, allows you to accelerate your vision being adopted, not just mentioned and said, but adopted throughout an organization, it helps you really to uh, move things along at a pace that you alone can't do. So that's what I say. That's why I say everybody doesn't need a coach, but there are certain people that do, not because they are less capable, but because what they're trying to accomplish is so much greater. Say that last part again, not because they're less capable, because sometimes we think if we need help, that means there's something wrong. There's, mm -hmm. we're not able, or we just don't have it in us. No, no. And it's, it's quite the opposite. And I do touch on this in the book, but it's, we don't ask for help because we think it's cheating, right? We think it's cheating. I'm supposed to be able to do this myself. The American dream, the American motto is, you know, or, you know, it's at least Sinatra, I did it my way. Um, mm -hmm. I bootstrapped myself. I, I, we love those rags to riches, nobody helped me stories. But in reality, those stories don't actually exist. And the best example of that is Akilah in the Bee, where she, you know, she's working on um, getting ready for the bee. And oh my goodness, her, her coach says, I can't help you anymore. Then she finds out she has 5,000 different coaches all over trying to help her. And that's the thing. We all, no matter what rags to riches story, you, you throw a dart at, at a board and pick any celebrity, anyone whose name you know, and I guarantee you there is a litany. There are a, a, a myriad of people behind the scenes that have been helping them to shape their career, help them avoid obstacles, help them make great decisions, help them define the outcomes they really want. There's a myriad of people behind them. So the idea that you don't need a coach. And if you need a coach, it's because you can't do it on your own. It's true. You can't, right? You need help. Everybody <laughs> needs help, right? That's why we, we live in a society and we're not all hermits. But <laughs> the, you know, it's because when, but most times people bring me in when they're really trying to accomplish something that's, that's 
really big, or they're trying to turn an organization around that may not have been hitting targets for a while, or they're just trying to implement a new culture uh, in the organization, or they need to engage their employees, or they just personally need someone to help them level up their leadership skills so that they can be ready for the big seat or so that they can lead their teams more effectively. So people bring me in when the stakes are high, not because they can't do it. Like I said up front, I work with competent, capable, incredible people. And what I do is I don't tell them how to live their lives or run their businesses. I ask them great questions that make them consider their, reconsider their assumptions and make better decisions after that. And so with Promotable, it's called Promotable, How to Demonstrate Your Value, Highlight Your Potential, and Land Your Next Promotion. It's, it's a short read. It took me um, like a couple of sittings to read because I was reading after work. And mm-hmm. it's funny. <laughs> if you are a fan of like old school hip hop, you will find references in there that you, that you relate to. Also movies. It's, yep. it's a fun book, but it also has a promise, a book with a promise. What does Promotable promise? I promise to help you position yourself as the obvious choice for the next promotion without losing your soul, right? I don't believe in the ethically challenged motto of, you know, just do the ends justify the means, that Machiavellian idea that if I step on enough people, get to the position, I'm going to be awesome. Doesn't, life doesn't work that way. When you step on enough people, guess what? When you get where you're trying to go, you're going to still need all those people that now probably hate you and they're not going to help you. So what you want to do is, and the promise of the book is to really help you reclaim control so that you can move forward in your career. A quote from the book, without being sleazy or yep. underhanded. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Without and being so, sleazy or underhanded. And you seem to have Gen Xers in mind when writing mm-hmm. this book. Um, why is that? Because studies have shown that Gen Xers, we're both Gen Xers, are, let me step back. I'm a Gen Xer. And as a Gen Xer, I feel like we get lost in the sauce. We are, you know, everyone talks about boomers. Boomers, came and now they're coming back again, right? They're coming back into the workforce and then everybody was obsessed with millennials and millennials are awesome, but no one talks about Gen X, right? We're just kind of not even in the conversation, but when you look at the studies, we're the ones doing the work and boomers and millennials are the ones getting the promotions. So that's kind of not awesome. And I think that that is why that the book just came about. It, it came about because I was working with a client who wasn't necessarily executive level or, or management, but I, a different type of client. She was basically trying to uh, reorient. It was more career coaching. And I started seeing some of these statistics popping up. And I was working on a big blog because this started as a, a, as a ginormous blog and just kept getting, kept growing and growing and growing. But all that came together and that's where Promotable came from because there is this, and I call it, there's like a crisis on the horizon. You're going to see a lot of Gen Xers trying to make it up to the next level, but there won't be any positions because right now we're so busy playing, you know, Uh, middle child and making sure the millennials and the boomers understand each other that we're not taking care of ourselves. We're not taking care of our own business and we're getting left behind. I mean, Harvard Business Review study I mentioned in the book shows that we do, I think, the bulk of the work, but we're just not getting those 
nods uh, for promotions. Sounds about right. <laughs> that yeah. sounds right, yeah. yes. Um, but it's, so it sounds right, but it's absolutely wrong because this is our, this is our moment as Gen Xers. Now, granted, if you're not a Gen Xer, the book, everything I give here, I've worked with boomers, I've worked with millennials, I've worked with everybody. The stuff I'm giving here, it works across the board, but my heart is with Gen Xers, right? For the reasons already stipulated. But yeah, yeah, it's it sounds right, but it's absolutely wrong. Okay. And <laughs> I was gonna say, in a lot of the references, Gen Xers will definitely love. Oh yeah. <laughs> so what are, what are two of the things that, two other things that you mentioned in the book that you learned in the process of writing it that you think will help folks who read it? Oh, that I learned in the process of writing. See, a lot of what I've, what I've done here is, this is a conversation, right? I, the way this book came about is it feels like, I wanted it to feel like a conversation. I wanted it to be a quick read. I didn't want to write, and this is actually one of the best compliments I've gotten thus far, was, um, David, thank you for not taking 400 pages to say what you could say in 80, right? <laughs> So I wanted it to be something that was digestible quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And what I learned was that's harder than, it, that this is, it's not something in the book, but this was just a personal thing I learned. It's harder to be brief. And I'm generally a brief bullet point. I can break it down pretty quickly. But for me, a lot of this is what I share when I'm coaching. It's a lot of what I share when I'm training, a lot of what I share when I'm you know, teaching. Some of the things, you, the funniest things, Okay, I'll give you one here. Mm-hmm. I had never heard blame it on the boogie. Now I can't get it out of my head <laughs> until I was look because I kept I, you know, because I'm always saying blame it on the rain. And I mentioned that too as a Millie Vanilli <laughs> reference that I still stand behind. Uh, but I hadn't heard blame it on the boogie. And then when I saw the video, I was like, oh my God, this <laughs> is I, I can't with this. It's terrible. It's awesome. All at the same. It's like vintage Michael. <laughs> yeah. um, it's Jackson 5, by the way, uh, for those of you listening. But that's one of the, th- the funniest things I learned was it got me, like I listened to hip hop, old school hip hop, but this really, I have had boys to men songs rolling through my head. I know this isn't answering the question, but some of the things I learned, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just, a lot of it was just me having a conversation. So, and unfortunately it's a one-sided conversation since I'm the only one writing. So, um, learning through the book, just a big thing was learning the whole process, but these aren't things that are in the book. And the the book taught me how to create a book, which is just its own interesting (laughs) process. And oh, by the way, we're working on the audio book too. That's another big, whole nother process. But yes, this, this book has trained me on a lot of things, but nothing I think that would, you will show up in the book. If I'm understanding your question. No, yeah, yeah, because it could be things that you learned that you put in the book or or not. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. it's 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 a process. It is a process. Uh-huh. Now, a couple of things that I that I kind of plucked out as well. You have certain control over your career, and this is what I learned from what you wrote. And mm-hmm. it was a good reminder. There are certain things that you can control. Control what you can control. Yeah. And um, another thing that that stood out to me. It's tough to be a good leader when you aren't a good follower. Followers don't get the props that they deserve, I think. They don't. It's because we have a leadership-driven culture. So if you type in leadership in Google, and I could do it while we're here, but you know, I can guarantee you, you're going to see probably two to three billion, it may even be four billion results come back. If you type in follower or followership, you may see about a hundred million. I think I'm way overshooting it. My first thought was maybe 5 million results because we all want to be leaders. But the problem with that is if everyone's leading, 
who's following. And if no one's leading, then, you know, we're just going around in circles. So I think the idea of leadership has been co-opted. And I know when I first went back into ministry, this was my idea. Leading men meant I knew what to do. I was telling people what to do. And I had the vision and everybody followed. That's not followership and that's not leadership. But these are general misunderstandings of those terms. Followership should be courageous. And I believe I talk about that in the book. Yeah. It means you have to stand up and speak up, but understand how to do that in a way that the leader who actually has the title can hear. And leadership doesn't mean you have all the answers. Much of leadership is actually listening to the competent and capable people that you're leading because they may have that subject matter expertise that you don't. And therefore, leadership and followership, it's, it's really more of a dance than it is a uh, military march. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And communicating ideas to leaders in ways they understand that that takes skill because sometimes we like to say things and just because we said it, we think the person should get it. It doesn't always work that way. (laughs) Oh no. Communication does not work that way at all. (laughs) When, when dealing with leaders and I don't know if I said this in the book, but I know I say it when I'm training, be very careful when you're dealing with a leader. Like if you're trying to share a point with a leader who may be insecure or you don't have an awesome relationship with at the moment, because everything is leadership is fundamentally a relationship and so is followership what will happen is if you try to share a great idea with someone who's insecure they could see it as an attack and then they could perceive you as an enemy when in reality you may have said something in a way that they couldn't receive or they've got their own personal issues or your your previous relationship wouldn't allow them to hear it so it's it's a tightrope and uh, I've worked with insecure leaders and it is, it, I usually tell people something's got to give and it's probably going to be you moving to another assignment or them moving um, either, either or because you can't help that person until they know that that's their concern. You can't help that leader. Wow. Wow. Until they know their worth and their value and what they bring to the table. Would that be exactly? Okay. Exactly. Thank you for finishing that sentence so eloquently. Oh, no worries. So let's talk, you talk about relationship, like leadership and followership. It's a relationship. Let's talk about relationship to self. What are uh, your top three, maybe your top two or top three motivations that keep you going every single day? I know you mentioned one earlier, but what are your top three or four? Oh, uh, my family, (laughs) my revenue targets for my company, the lifestyle I want my family to enjoy, again, family twice, but, you know, one is just, you know, food and shelter. The other is, you know, we balling y'all. Um, a little then, bit higher on the pyramid of needs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I went from, you know, okay, are we good to we balling now, right? So <laughs> then, um, I mean, that's, that's general, um, providing an outstanding, ever improving service. So basically, not only is my company getting better, but I'm getting better. I am a personal development junkie, and that's what motivates me and keeps me going. Uh, Being able to help people in tangible ways, not in that generic, I just want to help people way, but being able to help them clarify a goal, corral and align a team, and then achieve that goal, that's awesome to me. Watching people go from struggling leaders to confident, courageous leaders, that motivates me. Um, seeing the light go on for people as I work with them 
and they can then take the ball and, and, and run with it themselves. That's what, what excites me. But like I said, I do everything for my family. So it all comes back to providing the best possible experience life for them. So they have it. And I had a great life. I mean, not like I'm dead or anything, but I have, I've had a great life thus far. Uh, and I want theirs to be even better with more opportunity than I had because they have my experience now to leverage and uh, my, you know, my life to kind of stand on my shoulders. So they should be able to see higher than what I could see. That goes into the next question I was going to ask, the role legacy and your, your children played in your decision to start your own business. You know, what did you want them to, to see from you, from your winding path and the stories that you told that you're telling them, you know, from before they were born to what they can actually see um, and witness you doing? What role is, does legacy play? Did legacy play in your decision to start your own well, business? Well, that's, so it initially... None, because it was kind of like we, we, we talked about, I, I kind of had to make a, a decision and I chose to bet on, and my wife and I, we both, we said this, and we still say it, uh, we chose to bet on us, on me, right? Mm-hmm. Making this happen. But once we started, and it's, it's been a mind shift, and I'll be very clear with you, going from, and we don't even have time for all this, but from the middle class idea of success to the idea of not a paycheck, but a lifestyle. And thank you for offering me a job, but I can, there's no cap on my real salary, what I can make on my own versus the salary that I would make at a job. What I wanted them to see was that type of fearlessness. I wanted them to see me as a role model, their father, that starting, you know, from nothing and building a business, a brand, you know, putting out amazing content, uh, developing a tribe. I wanted them to see that for themselves so they understood they didn't have to be consumers, they could be creators. That's what you want them to see. What did you see? Because I remember, um, I'm remembering, you know, your dad, we didn't interact very much, but I just remember yeah. seeing him around and mm-hmm. seeing your mom around. Your mom is still, is still with us, but yes. um, mm-hmm. your dad is not. What do you remember from your formative years that, or what did your dad tell you about what he wanted you to see about, you know, about he and your mom that you were imparting to your kids now? Oh, well, with those two, I just saw them, you know, in love. I, I was privileged to have both my parents with me all throughout my growing up and also I, we, we went on family vacations. I mean, those are the stuff of legend. That's a whole nother podcast, but (laughs) the, you know, we, we did a lot of stuff. My dad would take me fishing. So what my dad did was he was, he had his own demons. He was slaying from his childhood. Right. And he was pouring into myself and my brother so much that, you know, to basically give us what he didn't get when he was growing up. So I learned how to be an amazing dad from him. Uh, mom, she taught me, I mean, he taught me a lot of other things. So going back to Promotable, my, I think I learned it. I say I learned it when I was doing my, my um, in the book, I mentioned how I learned that I had to, you know, make decisions at this crossroads, like, like with the inroads internship at Slo- uh, Smith Klein Beecham. Mm-hmm. And then I, I went, and I even say I went to GE um, from that. I switched uh, internships. But what I, what I really learned, I learned that from my dad early on because he would come home and he would tell me how he would do great work and his supervisor would put his name on it. Wow. Uh-huh. And how he would, his, his, other people were getting promotions based on the work he did. 
And so even for my youngest, I remember those stories like, wow, that sucks. Note to self, not going to let that happen. So I think even that's in the background playing, you know, it, it was kind of creating that fertile soil. So when I saw the opportunities start to shift and I saw the landscape in front of me start to move, I was able to adapt without really any hesitation. Then my mom, of course, she was the one, she was the grammar person. So we would have our, our discussions at the dinner table. And if we dangled a participle or if we, <laughs> if, if, if we didn't conjugate a verb correctly, oh my goodness, my mother would let us have it. She would, she, <laughs> she would laugh. She would make, I mean, today, if people were like, oh, that's terrible. It was, it was great because now I don't, I speak in a specific way and my vocabulary is what it is in large part to knowing if I came to the dinner table and said something that did not sound like I had an education mm -hmm. that I was going to get panned for it. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough, but you learned, you adapted and you realized that, that what she was doing, cause she was a secretary, what she was doing was helping us to, and both my brother and I are, you know, he's far more eloquent than I am, but I, you know, we both have that as our foundation. And when we speak, it's, you know, we can, I can, I can turn it on when I need to. <laughs> I can use well, that said, SAT vocabulary. <laughs> but you need to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or talk about, ain't no future to your front and if you need to. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta be able to be in both worlds. You have to know how to straddle it, know when to, when to turn that on and, and, um, and, and you know your audience, you know who you're talking to. And, you know, you could just throw, I was about to go to the public enemy reference, but no, no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it'll take a nation of millions. But the, you know, there's a lot of, of that. So my parents, what they showed us and what they showed me, those are just some of the, the lessons. And when I say that in the credit where credit is due section of the book, that's one of those things I was telling, you know, I'm saying that I learned from my dad that I didn't realize I learned until I wrote this book where it was like, wow. Oh crap, that was, I remember that. And as soon as I said it, I remembered having those, I mean, I can remember the people's names that he would say, Oh yeah, this person, you know, this, this happened. Um, and it was, you know, you learned that everybody in the workforce isn't, you know, ethical. And that's why I, you know, I give the no sleazy, no underhanded stuff. And so a uh, parting question, last question, any no, words? No, this is so much fun. Oh, okay. Well, look, I had a couple more questions. Um, oh, okay, cool. So, okay. So what role does, um, now it, your business, it's a family business. Is that correct? Or do you have other employees <laughs> or? Well, we have because I, I admire what you all are doing because oh, well, I remember you. you before there was before Arrington coaching was a glimmer and yeah. now just to see you know just to sit in the sidelines to see the videos to see you grow get your newsletter and read that and yeah, you're gonna see a lot more videos by the way oh yeah okay awesome yeah. awesome awesome so it's you know what role does um there's your wife your kids do they play in do they play in the in the family business so my wife is my business partner and she handles the social media side. She is a sounding board. Uh, we do strategy together. Like this morning we had our, our meeting, looking at our 90 day plan, making sure we're on track. She's my ride or die, my right hand. I could not do this without her. Uh, my children play roles as well, which is hilarious that you <laughs> asked that. So my oldest son, David, he was my videographer and photographer for a while before he went to college. Um, and now he's streaming, so he can't. When I go out to a 
a speaking event or I do a workshop or something. We usually record it and we take pictures. He can't do that. So my daughter, my youngest daughter is the one who does that with me now. And she records, she does a video and she does the photography as well. And the funniest thing is that my uh, second son is the only one who's never really had a role, but that's because he's been super busy the whole time. And, um, but I'm still trying to figure out where he would fit in. And for other things, we assemble a team as needed. So when it comes to, let's just say, engineering the audiobook, I'm not going to do that. I just refuse. That's a whole skill set I don't need. So I hire talent when I need it for other things, design elements like the book cover. I didn't design, thankfully, because if I had done it, I'd still be working on the book cover. Uh, <laughs> it would just never have gotten out. It would have been great, but it would have been like eight months later. So, um, and I do pretty much all the the creative stuff as far as you know, like building courses, um, designing workshops. I do the sales. I do, you know, that stuff. And uh, we're working on bringing someone else to help me with sales as well. Uh, but yeah, 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 that's, that. it's a family business and I'm very proud of that and um, soon to outgrow it because uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually probably in the next three weeks, I'm going to be getting a, an assistant. That's really great to hear. No, I, you. I, you don't understand. I am proud of you. Like all the people who we went to school with, who, mm-hmm. um, who were contemporaries of ours and just to watch them doing their thing. Yeah. It's, it's gratifying and I'm just, I'm just proud of them. Proud of you all. <laughs> Thank, and we're proud of you. I must, I must say you are an amazing podcast hostess. I just want to tell you that this is, it's very fun. This is like, this is a really easy conversation to have. So final question, any words of wisdom for other middle-agers? Cause you know, like it or not, we're, we're at that time where we are the age. career than mid middle-aged. I, I prefer mid-career. So Okay. You know. I respect. I, I like yeah. that. I'm going to have to put that in my back pocket. You said yeah. mid-career? Yeah. Versus mid-career. That's, it's a whole different just look and feel. <laughs> yeah. Totally different vibe. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah, middle yeah. age seems like, you know, you're decrepit. One foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sounds, decrepit. Yes. I did. Decrepit. Yes. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like, no, you got both feet. You're one foot in the grave, the other on the banana right. field. It just <laughs> right. does not sound good. No, I thought you said decrepit. Like, did you, did you just make up a word? <laughs> no, 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 no. I said decrepit. Decrepit. No, I have a doctorate, so you know I can do that now. That it was conferred. They tell you when you have a doctorate, you can just make words up, and they all work. So yeah, you're welcome. Oh my gosh! But no, we I take lang- language bent bend to us. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Any words of wisdom for other mid-career folks? who mm-hmm. want to go into business for themselves or write that book or change careers or face mm-hmm. a challenge that they've always wanted to, to face. Any, any wisdom for them? Uh, well, so I look at it this way. It's your life and you're the hero of the story. I told that to someone recently and they laughed and said, I never looked at it that way. But I said, if you're not the hero of the story, what role are you playing? So, and most people, for, for most of us, we're the comic relief in our own story. And that's just not a great way to move forward. And you definitely don't have enough in the tank to make those big decisions. So when it comes to making a big transition or it comes to uh, looking outside, maybe moving to another company where you can be promoted or you want to start your own business, the first thing I would say is that you've got to get past your own mental blocks. So uh, we were we were talking and one of the things was you said financial, mental, you know, there could be structural 
limitations in societal. The funny thing is they all come back to mental because you've seen and I've seen a number of people, the illustrations or examples of people overcoming uh, be through adversity in, in terrible situations there that we see those all the time. So if we want something to happen, we have to make up our mind to make it happen. When it comes to Arrington coaching, there are most uh, like this time of year, I'm always up around four in the morning because I've got so many things popping off in my brain that I just wake up and I get down here and I get in my office and I get to work. Uh, yeah, at four in the morning, because I know if I don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. I only eat what I kill. So when you get it in your head that no one is coming to save you, that no one's coming to rescue you, that if you're going to start that business, you're going to have to start it um, and stop figuring out how to start it and just start it. Here's, a, here's hmm. something. I stopped reading business books. I still read books, right? Of course, I'm in the gym every day. I'm, I got my, my uh, audiobooks going. I'm a voracious reader, but I stopped reading specific books on here's how to grow your business or build your business because wow. they kept giving me new ideas that would pause me from doing, from executing the ideas I already had. Woo! So I just literally stopped listening to them so I could execute what I already know so I got out of that analysis paralysis cycle. And you basically just have to make up your mind that you're going to do it, put one foot in front of the other and deal with obstacles. Oh, here's another thing. I was, I was uh, having a discussion with someone on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and they were having this problem uh, with their doctoral program, some things that happened. And he said, how did you keep going through mine? I said, well, I thought about outcomes. So I focus on outcomes. I don't focus on the day-to-day. -day. See, when I know where I'm going, then everything between where I am now and that end point are just opportunities or obstacles. Hmm. They don't derail me. I just recognize they're going to show up. Some are going to be obstacles. They're going to, you know, be things I didn't expect. They're going to be uh, clients will say no. Uh, they'll be, you know, oh my goodness, the, you know, it, it's going to take, you know, an extra two weeks to get the, you know, this done or whatever obstacles, opportunities, the phone will ring, somebody will email me, you reach out and say, hey, David, do you want to be on my podcast? Those are awesome things. But guess what? My end result is still the goals I've set for myself and my company and my family. So mm -hmm. anything between where I am now and where I'm going, obstacles or opportunities. So mm -hmm. you just have to make up your mind that you're going to get there, understanding that you're not going to be able to map it out. Things are going to change on you. No plan survives encounter with the enemy. And, or there's another one that says, another you know, quip says, um, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Right? <laughs> so those things happen. Mm -hmm. And then you, know, you just keep going toward your goal. So that was me just, uh, you asked me a good question. I mean, they've all been good questions, but that was just a, you can tell I get a little revved up when it comes to <laughs> stuff like that. No, I love it. I love it. So two, we're going to end with two to three tips from Promotable. Now, when I, when I tell you the book is, I got the, uh, the ebook mm -hmm. and you do have hard copy versions as well, right? My, my paperbacks just got here today. I, I have one in my hand. So yeah, paperback, you can get paperback or, uh, or the ebook version. And, and the, um, oh, the audio book on the way. Do you have two or three tips from the book that folks can kind of take away with them before they actually get the book? <laughs> sure. So when it comes to being 
to making yourself the obvious choice, which is what promotable is all about, demonstrating your value, highlighting your potential, landing your next promotion, right? Um, I would tell you the first thing you want to do is ask for feedback and then execute on the feedback you get. Most people, and I, when I say feedback, I don't mean sycophants that tell you you're awesome. I mean people that will actually give you the real deal on what it's going to take for you to move forward. And you can find at arringtoncoaching.com slash promotable dash book, you'll find that I have some downloads from the book that, you know, even before, shh, don't tell anybody, but even before you... <laughs> get the book, you can download these things. And one of them is a quick and dirty 360 assessment that you can send to specific people to get their take on you. And then the big part about feedback is you need to actually leverage it, right? After you put it through a filter, does it make sense? Is it for me? Does this, is this, um, is it worthwhile? Do I feel like I need to change there? So that's, I guess I gave you two real quick and I'll give you one more. And this is another one that there is, I actually have a free mini course on leading meetings that don't suck that you can find on that same page. And uh, I would say if you're going to be promotable, you need, and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, you need to lead meetings that don't suck. You need to be able to command a room, command a meeting, and show the folks on your team that you know where we're going. You may not have all the details of how to get there. That's why you work with them and they're competent and capable uh, and they're awesome and they'll fill in some of those blanks, but your meeting should encourage, they should engage, they should motivate, they should inspire and people should walk out of there understanding clearly what they need to do to move forward and how they, what they do plays into the bigger overall picture. And last but not least, here's a, th I think there's a fourth one. So bonus, make a plan. Don't leave your career up to chance. Um, there's also a, a downloadable there for a quick career planner. It's just a few questions that are going to help you think through where you want to go, what you want to do, and the time frame you want to get there. So uh, that's definitely helpful as well because most people don't have a plan for their career. They're just kind of going through the motions every day, showing up um, at the same job because the paycheck still shows up. So you want to have a plan if you're going to climb that ladder ethically. Thanks for listening to Planet Now, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, prompt us to make a difference, and to do more with what life presents. Today's guest, David Arrington, COO of Arrington Coaching. You can learn more about him and get all the links from Arrington Coaching to Arrington Training and the social media info at planetnow.com. Also, this episode was supposed to drop in March, but since the globe, literally the globe, has been upended by the COVID-19 pandemic, well, things got thrown a little bit off kilter. But one good thing about books, you can read those during pandemics when you have a chance to shelter in place or are abiding by stay-at-home orders. David's paperback Promotable is available from Amazon and so is the ebook. I'm Liz Anderson, host of the Planet Now podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and stop by Apple Podcasts and rate the show. Thanks again for stopping by. Until next time, take care.